Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Um, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Michael Cromwell. I have the joy of serving as one of the associate pastors here at RUMC, and um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to, become, to come and to share with you all today, um, giving Marion a chance to go and worship with her family. Do you know how odd that is for a pastor? As you worship with your family. Uh, so what a gift that is. We're so glad and grateful for her gifts and the way that she leads so beautifully and so wonderfully. And it's a joy for me to be with you. I always love coming. I love this space. You folks aren't too bad either. Um, and it's just a great chance for us to be together. And I'm excited to share with you today. So I am grateful. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the joy of this day. You know, it might be gloomy outside, but Lord, inside, in this place, your presence shines. So God, we thank you for, for truly being here. And in this moment, it's my deepest prayer, God, for more of you and for less of me. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever wondered what the early days of the church looked like? What, what was it like to, to be one of the first Christians, to kind of explore and kind of start this whole thing? Well, I'm going to give you a hint. There were no stained glass windows, no worship bands, no choirs in robes, no preachers in fancy clothes and in robes as well preaching. There weren't any children's ministry activities with bounce houses. Uh, no youth retreats by the lake with silly skits. Uh, no men's and women's dinners. It, it was very different than what we experience today. You see, one of, the, one of the primary reasons the early Christians would get together was to nurture one another in this new thing, in this new faith that they had. They would, they would gather together just to share with each other, to hold each other up in this newfound faith that they have. And here's the amazing thing about it. It's because of their gathering, evangelism was the result. That the church began to grow and grow and grow because of their faithfulness in meeting together. So with that said, our scripture today comes to us from the New Testament book of Acts. Um, in chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it gives us a snapshot of what the early church looked like and some of the things that they did. So Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, hear these words. They devoted themselves, they being the early Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And we give thanks to the reading of God's most holy word. You see, verse 42, the first verse in this scripture tells us that there are four things that are happening when the early Christians started to meet. The first thing is 
the apostles, those teachers, those that were sent out, they, they proclaimed the good news, the gospel. This was a day and age where things weren't written down like we have them today. So they, they told things verbally. That's how they share. That's how they pass things down was through uh, oral communication. So that was their primary means of communication. They were sharing the difference that Jesus had made in their lives and how Jesus had saved them. The second thing that happened, there was fellowship. There was, there was community that happened in the early church. The Greek word here is koinonia. It means a spiritual communion, that they have so much in common, not just physically, but spiritually as well. So there was deep, deep fellowship that was happening in these times. And they shared everything with each other. Uh, anything that they had, they shared with one another. The third thing they did when they got together is they ate together. They must have been good Methodists, uh, that they would eat together. They would gather in the same place in someone's home and eat. And a lot of scholars believe that a part of that eating together was the Lord's Supper. We call it communion, holy communion. Because Jesus, remember, Jesus told them, anytime you get together and you have these elements, remember me. Do these things in remembrance of me. So they would gather and they would eat and they would celebrate communion, the Lord's Supper together. And the last thing, the fourth thing that this one verse tells us that happened is that they prayed together. They would pray in homes and they would also pray at the temple as well. So in the early days of the church, they gathered in homes, not in formal sanctuaries, not in a chapel necessarily, but they would, they would gather together in homes. They would eat together. They would share stories about how Jesus, all the things that Jesus had done and how the Holy Spirit was moving in their communities. And if anyone had need in their group, in their community, they did whatever they needed to make sure that that person's need was taken care of, even if it meant selling their own possessions so that someone might have whatever physical needs met in their life. It was kind of a what's yours is mine kind of lifestyle, what mine is yours kind of lifestyle. They weren't just looking out for spiritual needs, but for physical needs as well. Now, one of the things I love about this, when you read in this scripture, and especially if you think about the history we have as, as Methodists and as Wesleyans from John and Charles Wesley, this is extremely Wesleyan when we look at what's happening in this scripture. Because what, what we see is that there's personal holiness, meaning growing in our relationship with God, and there's social holiness. We're watching out for one another as well. Uh, oftentimes, we, uh, we consider Methodists or Wesleyans to be this kind of both-and type of faith. Um, and in this particular situation, it really was a great thing. We see the social aspect of the gospel in full color, taking care of one another, but we also see this desire to grow in our own faith on display as well. It's amazing to see all these little things that are happening. So, but here's the interesting thing too. Christians would also meet in the Jewish temple for worship and prayer. It kind of sounds weird, right? That the Christians would meet in the Jewish temple to do that. Well, that was a central place of worship for people. So it was the best place to go to have worship. And obviously this was before the temple was destroyed later. But they would gather together and worship together. And this passage tells us that they would get together every single day for worship. You think one day a week is hard getting here. Imagine every day having to come and to gather and worship 
You know, I, I love that the end of this passage, the last verse of this particular passage, it says that the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. It wasn't the early Christians that were doing the saving. It was God. The early Christians were just being obedient. They were, they were living into this new faith that they had found in Christ. They were simply just trying to do the things that Jesus had told them to do. To love God by meeting together, by worshiping together, and to love others as they fellowship, as they eat, and as they provide for others. So, I mean, all this is good and well, because this, this is 2,000 years ago. A few things have changed since then, right? So all this is good and well. So what does it mean for us today? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. Quit your job. Find a group of people you want to meet with for hours every single day. Eat together, sell all of your possessions, give away everything you have, and come here to the chapel every day for worship for hours every day. Pretty simple, right? It's very different now. Our, our faith looks so different than the early days of Christianity, but I still think there's some things that we can learn from here that we can apply in our lives and that we can apply in our faith today. Now, if, if you are aware, the current sermon series, worship series here in chapel is the appearances of Christ. If you are aware of that, you're probably asking yourself, well, well, what does this passage have to do with Jesus? Because we don't read about Jesus in this particular passage. We read about the early church gathering. Jesus doesn't actually show up in this story. Where is Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked because Jesus is alive and well in this particular passage and in this gathering of Christians. Listen to these words of Christ in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Jesus says this, For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Jesus promises to be with us when we gather in his name. When the early Christians would get together in their homes, they gathered in Jesus' name because they knew that Christ was present. Just a few verses before the one I read earlier was the story of Pentecost, how the Holy Spirit descended on the church and really began this whole movement of Christianity, specifically of the Christian church. You see, when we gather for worship in Jesus' name, we can rest assured that Jesus is here in this place, the living God, the one who's seated at the right hand of the Father is here, right here, right now. Jesus appears when we worship together. You know, we don't worship a Savior who lives on a cloud somewhere far away that zaps down lightning bolts and controls everything that's going on. We, we serve a Savior and worship a Savior who's present, that's with us at all times. So knowing that, knowing that Jesus is present when we gather together, especially in his name, how many times do we come to worship on Sunday morning without any expectation of seeing Jesus? Sometimes, probably too often. 
the hustle and the bustle that it takes to get here, to get the family ready, to get, get everybody ready to, to, to get into this place? Do we come with an expectation that we will see Jesus when we gather in worship? You know, if you and I came with that mindset every week, and I hope you do, but if we came with that mindset every week and that expectation that we will see and we will experience Christ, maybe that would change things a bit for us. Maybe the drive from home to church might feel a little different. Maybe Saturday evenings might be a little different too as we prepare ourselves for an encounter with the living God when we come together to worship. How would that impact our response in the way that we worship? Would, would, we, would we allow ourselves to fully engage in worship or draw back? I would say we'd fully engage if we knew that Christ was here. You know, why do you come? Why do you come here week after week? Or maybe this is your first time. Is it because you want to hear a good sermon? If Usually if Marion's here, you're in store for a good sermon. Uh, is it because you want to hear great music? We hear great music here every single week. Is it because you love the community, that you love the fellowship that's here? Uh, the fact that we get together, we get to see each other, we get to live life together? Or is the reason you come because you want to see Jesus? You, you want to see Christ in worship. You see, one of the beautiful things that I think is happening is there's a change in the church. Maybe, just maybe, you are um, a little disenfranchised with organized religion. Maybe. Uh, perhaps you're fed up with politics that happen in the life of any church, no matter where it might be. You see, I think the church's landscape is evolving just a little bit these days. See, I think we're wanting to become more like the church of the first century more than we are the church of the 21st century. I realize that's a very broad statement and probably a bold statement at the same time. But I think we're wanting to return to our roots, to get back together to this true heart of worship and knowing that Christ is here. But I also realize that the church helps us live out this calling, this calling in our lives to, to equip us, to empower us, and to send us forward into the world, to, to be Christ's presence in the world today. So there are some similarities that we see from the first church and maybe some of the areas that we're wanting to become today. We all want to be a part of a community where we belong, where we feel like this is home, this is, this is for us. And we want to grow in our faith, and we want to help others grow in their faith at the same time. And we like to eat, just like those in the first century. And we want to help others around us. We want to, we want to make a difference in this world. So there are ways where I think that today we're striving to be more and more like the church of the first century, to kind of simplify things just a little bit, to love God, and to find ways to serve others. You see, I think our mission in the world can be boiled down to two simple requirements. And the reason I know this is because Scripture tells us. 
In Mark chapter 12, verses 30 through 31, it says these words. I'm going to back up a few verses. So one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, Of all the commandments, which there were a ton of commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replies and says this, The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. You see, it could be boiled down to these two requirements, to love God and to love your neighbor. It's this personal and social holiness that we read about from John and Charles Wesley, this desire. They wanted every Christian to have this aspect in their lives, that they were growing in their faith with God and serving those around them to love God and to love neighbor. You see, we need to, we need to focus on the fact that we, we strive to fall in love with God, but also to stay in love with God. It's why we worship. It's why we gather in Sunday school and small groups and Bible studies so that we can stay in love with God. And we also need to find ways that we can serve our neighbor, to reach out to those in need. You know, there's a, there's a ton of ways that we can serve those around us, and it doesn't always require being organized by the church. If we see someone in need, it's our responsibility to reach out and to help that person or those people in need. You know, it's what being the body of Christ is all about. And I believe if, if we do this, if we love God and if we love our neighbor, then we have the privilege of being Jesus to someone else. That we get to be Christ to somebody else. You see, you just might be the appearance of Christ that someone needs in their life today or this week. That they're looking for Jesus in the world and God's wanting to use you to be Christ to other people. You know, we might not see Christ himself appear in this particular passage of Acts in the early church, but he's present, intangible, in a real way. And even though we might not see Jesus in his physical form in the chapel today, we know that Jesus is here because we are gathered in his name as his body. And we have the privilege of being Christ to each other when we gather for worship and when we serve one another. You know, there's a, a contemporary Christian group. They're not quite so contemporary anymore, but Casting Crowns, they still, still have a few things out. But one of their older songs really speaks to this nature. And here are the lyrics, a few of the lyrics. So they say, if we're the body, why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? And why aren't his words teaching? If we are the body, why aren't his feet going? Why is his love not showing 
them there is a way. Because Jesus is the way. You see, we don't have to wait until we are at church to be the church. We don't have to wait until when we come to church to actually be the church. See, the way that we live our lives should be an extension of what takes place here. As we worship, as we encounter Christ, that should be an extension into the world in which we lead. So if you are looking for Jesus in the world today, maybe, just maybe, somebody else is looking for you to be Jesus to them. How might we be his body in the world today? How is Christ wanting to appear in you and through you? So our challenge today is this. Stop going to church and start being the church so that we might truly be Christ for the world today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your witness and for the faithfulness of these, these early Christians, for their desire to, to serve you and to love you and to love and to serve their neighbor as well. May this not be something that we internalize only, but may it be something, God, that we seek to, to overflow in our lives, that we find ways to love you and to love our neighbor as well. God, you have loved us extravagantly and sacrificially. And God, we seek to truly honor you, to love you in our lives, to be your presence in the world today. May this knowledge change the way that we worship. May this knowledge change the way that we live. And may this knowledge change the way that we love and serve you and others. Thank you, God, for who you are, for what you are doing, and for what you seek and desire to do in us. We love you, and we praise you. All in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This time I want to invite you to stand as we continue in worship together, knowing that Christ is in this place.